There's a culture war going on in this country. We can no longer remain silent on the issues that affect us all. Decisions we make now will determine our future. But how do we engage with the culture in a way that honors Jesus? How do we rise above the noise to know what is right and what is true? It's time to bring God back into the conversation. It's time to reconnect. Here's Carmen. Welcome, friends. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is The Reconnect. We're here to speak the truth on the real issues of the day in real time. If you want some very tangible equipping on that, I have a book by the same title, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. You can check it all out at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Okay, so how do we get God back into the conversations of the day? Uh, How do we enter into today's conversations as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, speaking the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, not just giving people another piece of our mind, not just spouting off an opinion piece, but actually bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day um, in ways that honor him, actually sharing with people what they really need, which is the peace, the peace of the mind of Christ. Uh, We have equipping resources uh, to equip you, they're equipping resources, so they equip. That's what they do. All right, they're at reconnectwithcarmen.com. We've actually got a new one posted for you there um, called Pray the News. I don't know about you. Uh, the news cycle is um, can be depressing. Uh, and so figuring out how we as Christians can uh, not only process what is happening in the world around us, but how we can pray through it uh, recognizing that God uh, has the whole world in his hands. God has an intimate concern for every individual. Um, today, God actually knows what's happening in Zimbabwe when uh, when we don't. God knows what is happening um, in, in places and circumstances around the world where we don't even have a window in. And yet with social media and with the 24-7 news cycle uh, and with so much eye reporting around the world, we feel like we got eyes and ears on everything. Well, we don't, but God does. And God has an intense interest in each and every one of those precious people and the circumstances of their lives. And so the way we um, engage in most of it, the way we engage with most of it is through prayer. We actually uh, come before God. The things that break our heart, we recognize those are the things that break God's heart as well. We tell God that, um, hey, I, I, I see what you're seeing in this particular circumstance and it breaks my heart. I know it breaks your heart too. Uh, And so, you know, Father, do what you will in this circumstance, but I want you to know that my heart of compassion is going out to these people, and um, I want you to... I, I want you to bring the resources of heaven to bear on the circumstances of these people's lives. And then, friends, we then do what we can do. Um, that's not to say that, you know, God is in any way insufficient, but God has deployed us as the ambassadors in this generation to be his uh, witnesses and to be his agents of grace and to be his ministers of reconciliation. And so we pray and then we do. Uh, and so my encouragement to you uh, today is to go to reconnectwithcarmen.com, download the Pray the News resource, and get busy praying. You're never too busy to pray, so get busy praying, and then also uh, allow God to use your life in tangible ways uh, in the lives of others. Okay, so the conversations that I want to have uh, with you today are about a myriad of topics and subjects uh, happening right now. One of them uh, is what you can do uh, to... Um, I guess the word is um, hmm, uphold, secure, continue, um, advance, be sure that we protect charitable giving as tax reform is taking place in Washington. But that's kind of boring, so we're not going to start there. I'm going to start with something a lot more zesty, and that is the conversation um, that people of color, Christians who are people of color, are having with white evangelicalism. And so you say to yourself, I don't really know what you're talking about. Well, sometimes these conversations are going on um, in public, but they're not necessarily going on in the secular media. And so you have to be reading sites like Christianity Today. And on the Christianity Today website, you have to be reading the exchange blog with Ed Stetzer. And then you have to follow from there to maybe slightly more obscure places where these conversations are posted. And you say to yourself, Well, that seems like a whole lot of trouble. Well, that's kind of actually the point. The point of this conversation is that people of color who are evangelical, who actually agree with us on everything doctrinal, um, they don't actually have the same platforms that white evangelicals have. That's actually a huge part of the conversation. 
Why would you have to go to an obscure website to find this conversation? Well, because um, most of the mainstream Christian websites are actually uh, funded by and, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, controlled by uh, white evangelicals. And so we're not going to give our platform away. This is this would be the nasty way to think about it. Not going to give our platform away, uh, you know, to people who are going to... Uh, point out things about white evangelicalism that, frankly, we don't want pointed out. So there you go. Basic um, human nature. We have talked about these issues and concerns on this show on a number of occasions. You may remember an interview that uh, I did with D.A. Horton. We have aired it a couple of times, most recently on June the 27th, if you want to go grab it. Um, he actually defines white evangelicalism um, and the challenges related to it. He has now taken to Facebook Live a couple of days ago to address this issue, this issue of what we're calling the reverse exodus. We're not calling it that. Uh, people of color are calling it that. Lecrae, whose name you may recognize from the music world, Lecrae um, shared in a very public way that he would be leaving white evangelicalism. And John Piper, a name you might also recognize, responded to that that then led to Raymond Chang responding to that, and that led to Brian Loritz responding to that. So this is a conversation among people of color who are all evangelical Christians uh, about the challenges that, uh, that evangelical Christians who are people of color face when they are actually desiring to use the gifts that God has given them. Uh, and, and right now, all of the platforms where that is possible are controlled, the word I think is controlled, by white evangelicals. So th let me just go ahead and tell you, it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's a super duper uncomfortable conversation if you happen to be a white evangelical, which I happen to be. So I'm just going to jump right in to what I recognize as an uncomfortable conversation. Now, this is a conversation, again, we have had here on The Reconnect with evangelicals who are people of color. It's a conversation that we've had with D.A. Horton. It's a conversation that we've had with Justin Gibney. It's a conversation that we've had with Jamar Tisby. The list is not short. Um, and so I'm going to encourage you to uh, listen with non-defensive ears all right, so let's have some uh, let's have some humility as we listen to the voices of uh, people of color who are evangelicals who are who are basically saying, look, white evangelicalism, which is a segment of modern evangelicalism, but tends to shape the agenda. It tends to shape the agenda of evangelicalism in our culture. Okay, so it's really hard for a person who is white and evangelical to think that um, you need an at, you need a descriptive term that's color specific on the front end of this. Like it makes me very uncomfortable to say white evangelicalism. It just does. I think that evangelicals should be evangelicals, and the evangelical movement should include everybody. My brothers and sisters of color are telling me it doesn't include them in in significant ways. And you say to yourself, ah, that's just not true. I've, I've seen plenty of people of color uh, speaking at evangelical events. I've, uh, you've had them on your show. Uh -huh. So see, there you go. So the question is not, have they been guests? Have they been guests at events hosted by white evangelicals? That's not the question, because that happens on a regular basis. The question is, are they at home there? Do they, do, are they, are they authorized to move the furniture around? Are they authorized to actually say um, how, how this should go and how it should be set up in order for it to be um, an evangelical event that is not uh, sort of culturally white? Now, I will just come right out and admit to you, I don't know how to make something other than culturally white, which is part of the point. If you want something to be um, inclusive, then the people who are making the decisions about how that thing is going to happen needs to be inclusive, genuinely inclusive. Not tokenism inclusive, but genuinely inclusive. This is a hard conversation. Here's, uh, here's what it comes down to. And this particular observation um, uh, is made by Raymond Chang. And uh, Raymond Chang is a significant uh, participant in this conversation as somebody who works at Wheaton. And so 
He says this, unless white evangelicalism ch changes in significant fashion, Lecrae is only going to be the beginning of this exodus, which they're calling a reverse exodus, despite not being the first to depart. Now, why is that? Well, and what is this reverse exodus? People of color finding that white evangelical churches and institutions fail to truly embrace them. That's, that's why this reverse exodus is beginning. Um, and so uh, if you read these testimonies, at Lecrae's testimony would be the first one I would recommend you read. The second uh, would be uh, that of Brian Loritz. If you read these testimonies, what you are going to hear is exhaustion. You're going to hear people who are tired. And you're going to say to yourself, but these are the guys that have been given the platform. These are the guys whose names we know. These are the guys who, um, who are at virtually every uh, evangelical conference in the country, singing and speaking and preaching. And therein sort of lies the point. Uh, they talk about um, there being uh, opportunities where they are invited to be guests, where they are invited to appear, but not opportunities where they are um, actually elevated into positions of leadership um, occupying what are described as culture-shaping positions of authority. So I want you to think about that for a moment. What are the culture-shaping positions of authority in evangelicalism? Well, one of the culture-shaping positions of authority is that of publishing. Uh, and so who gets published? And who even ever gets a meeting with an editor that they might get published or an acquisitions director? Um, here, here's the reality. Conversations with publishers are developed through white evangelical networks, which means that who ends up in those conversations? Well, other white evangelicals. How about who speaks at conferences? Um, it, 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 the people who speak at conferences are developed through the network of people who speak at conferences and who organize conferences, and that tends to be white evangelicals. So here's one of the observations uh, that Raymond Chang makes. We normalize whiteness in evangelicalism by having an overwhelming majority of white speakers, and we normalize whiteness in evangelicalism by having an overwhelming uh, number of people in positions of culture-making authority who are, notably, you can fill in the blank here, white. So what, um, what folks are looking for is different people in the chairs. And so it, this would be my question uh, one of my questions uh, to us today. First of all, uh, this is not the kind of conversation that we can have by ourselves. This is a conversation that absolutely must be had uh, along along with uh, guys like D.A. Horton, guys like Justin Gibney, uh, guys at the AND campaign. Uh, these are the con these conversations must be had with people who are experiencing what I'm not experiencing. Okay, and every time um, you know they they take a swing at an organization that I am on the board of, like the National Association of Evangelicals, um, I need to be non-defensive. I, I need to listen with humility, and I need to say, all right, now let me hear you out. Let me be sure I understand you. Um, please define for me the terms that you're using. I don't I don't understand it that way. So help me understand it from your perspective. Um, and and then I, I need to help. Uh, do precisely what they are suggesting needs to happen, which is that um, the way in which we have done evangelicalism here in this country, focusing primarily on issues pertaining to white evangelicals and white evangelical churches and white evangelical schools um, and white evangelical concerns, is going to have to shift if we actually are concerned um, that... Uh, a huge percentage, and certainly the rising percentage of our culture, is non-white. And we recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, and we recognize that the kingdom of God is populated by people of every tribe and tongue, and that whiteness doesn't matter. If we if we really genuinely believe that uh, that in the kingdom of heaven, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, then we who happen to be white and happen to be evangelical, need to figure out how to honestly elevate, um, maybe that's not even the right word, 
we we get we get to actually like just give up the platforms that we have in order for others to have them. And you're saying to yourself, but you earned the platform that you have. Well, I don't really know if that's true or not. Um, right. So, all right. I don't necessarily have a huge answer to this question today. I simply need you to be alerted to the fact that this conversation is taking place. Um, and this conversation is taking place in in ever greater volume. This is a conversation that's been taking place in quiet for a very long time. And it's a conversation that uh, people like Lecrae and Brian Loritz are raising the volume on. I believe Raymond Chang is going to continue to raise the volume on this. Um, and I think that uh, folks like me, the NAE-type evangelicals, uh, we're going to have to figure out how to positively respond to what is being identified as the reverse exodus of African-American, uh, Asian, and Latino Christians who agree with us on doctrine, but whose culture we, um, I, I don't think we intentionally suppress, um, but we nonetheless suppress. Okay, while we're at it, here's something tangible that you can do. Uh, today, today, I want you to consider actually using your political influence today um, to impact the tax reform process. Here's how you can do it. You can help preserve what's known as the charitable giving deduction. All right, so um, there's an organization in Washington called the Faith and Giving Network. The Faith and Giving Network has been working very, very diligently to be sure that your charitable contributions are actually preserved in the tax reform that is uh, even now proceeding through Congress. And so yesterday, Senator J uh, James Lankford, who has been uh, here on the Reconnect with us in the past, uh, Senator Lankford introduced the Universal Charitable Giving Act in the U.S. Senate. And um, it's actually the same item that Mark Walker introduced uh, in the House. That one is also known as the Universal Charitable Act. Uh, he introduced that on October the 5th. So what is needed now is for a member of the Senate Finance Committee to actually offer up the Universal Charitable Giving Act as an amendment to the Senate tax reform bill. Now, you're saying to yourself, wow, this is super weedy. Don't you remember those um, those uh, uh, those little how, how a bill becomes a law kind of things? Okay, well, that schoolhouse rock business. Let that play through your mind for just a minute, and, and, and you can sort of visualize that. So this conversation is about how a bill becomes a law. In this case, how an item of business currently before the Senate gets amended through a committee in order that the amendment, which clearly improves the bill, makes it into the law. So that's what we're talking about here. We need a member of the Senate Finance Committee to offer the Universal Charitable Giving Act proposed by Senator Lankford yesterday. We need uh, a member of the committee to offer it as an amendment to the Senate tax reform bill. That needs to happen during the committee's markup process. That is happening today and tomorrow. Um, and so what am I asking you to do? Well, I am asking you to um, reach out to one of the members of the um, Senate Finance Committee. There you go. That's what I want you to do. I want you to reach out to one of the members of the Senate Finance Committee um, and and say, hey, Senator Tim Scott is on that committee. Um, he's the one that immediately comes to mind. John Cornyn is on that committee. So these would be good guys you could reach out to. Um, and you could say, uh, hey, this is important to me as a person who makes charitable contributions to faith-based organizations. I want those to be preserved in the tax reform bill um, and the bill uh, before the Senate needs to be amended, and here's how you do that, Charitable Giving Act. All right, there you go. That's my appeal to you today on that front. Uh, I know that it is, um, it's probably indicative of the reality that we're now living in that uh, all the way down now third on my list is the deadly shooting rampage yesterday in California. Um, that is not an indication of how grievous an act this is. It's certainly not an indication of how horrific um, the reality of this particular situation um, and shooting uh, is. But it is the reality that this has become a very tragic, strange rhythm here in the United States. So, uh, first of all, want to um, want to thank first responders, want to thank teachers at the school uh, where you know children were protected uh, because the teachers immediately went into a lockdown when they heard the gunfire. Um, and then we really want to uh, have an honest 
soul-searching conversation about how it is that this 43-year-old man, Kevin Neal, um, got to the place where uh, everyone around him, everyone around him, his neighbors, his friends, his mother, everyone around him, the police knew that he had uh, high-capacity weapons, that he was legit crazy, that he was violent, and that in his mother's own words, um, he was standing on the edge of the cliff and had nowhere to go. Um, how, uh, how does a conflict with a neighbor um, escalate to this point? And how does a person against whom there is a restraining order uh, have both the capacity and the opportunity to take the life of the person um, who, issued, who, had the issue, who had the restraining order issued Um, because the woman targeted um, is dead, but then carry out all this mayhem that brings uh, death and grief to the lives of many other people, including himself. Okay, we've been talking about the brokenness of the system um, for some time. And uh, I I mentioned in response to the horrific uh, shootings in Sutherland Springs, Texas, I I mentioned the story of the Garrison Demoniac. And I referenced that and I asked the question, like, what do we do today with those among us who are completely beyond the control of our communities? They're beyond the control of their families. They're beyond the influence of law enforcement. Um, They are, uh, they're literally out of their minds. They're self-destructive and they are violent. What do we do with them? And your first inclination, like mine, is, you know, we we should lock them away. We should throw away the key. In reality, as Christians, our answer to the question should be, we should somehow get them to Jesus. Um, friends, there is there's not a uh, there is not an answer to um, to the kind of violent uh, craze that leads a person to do what Mr. Neal did yesterday, or what the gunman in Sutherland Springs did just a little over a week ago. There is not a law enforcement answer to that question. There is not a gun control answer to that question. Um, Although both law enforcement and gun control are conversations that we should be having. Mental health is certainly a conversation that we should be having. But when you and I look across um, our own neighborhoods, look down our own streets, look throughout our own communities, we actually know people who are this disturbed. And we pray like crazy that they're not going to do what these men have done. And I guess I, I'm, I'm pleading with us for new ideas about how we share Jesus in tangible ways because Jesus actually can bring healing and restoration and redemption to the Gerasene demoniac. That's what happens in that story. The man is redeemed. The demons leave. And still the people of the community don't know what to do with Jesus. They don't know what to do with Jesus. Um, And so my encouragement today is um, be the guys who had the boat, who took Jesus to the shoreline where the garrison demoniac was chained amongst the tombs. He was living amongst the tombs. We have people who we know who are living amongst the tombs and there, there aren't enough chains in terms of law enforcement and in terms of, uh, of, of mental health facilities. There's not, there are not enough places to put the garrison demoniacs of our generation. We need to lead them. We need to be the people who get them in front of Jesus. So how do we do that? We got to take Jesus to them, somehow, some way. We got to be the people who actually believe in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ to change people who are even this broken. So do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has that kind of power to redeem? All right, friends, this is The Reconnect. It's a listener-supported ministry by people just like you. Visit me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. You can also let me know what you're thinking on Twitter. I'm at Carmen LaBerge. Hey, we're going to be right back with Chewbacca Mom. It's going to be a fun conversation.
Hey friends, I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is The Reconnect. We are seeking to put God in his place, back where he belongs, right in the middle of every conversation. So we're talking about what people are talking about. We are seeking to equip you to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Indeed, that you might rise and shine and even be joyful, which is going to be the conversation we are going to have uh, this afternoon. So um, my guest this afternoon is Candace Payne. You may not recognize um, her name, uh, but you certainly are going to recognize her laugh in just a moment. Uh, if you are a person who consumes media of any kind, you may already know her. She's a viral sensation. Her video of trying on a Chewbacca mask became the most viewed Facebook Live video to date. 170 million plus million, that's 170 plus million views. She's been featured in more than 3,000 media outlets, interviewed by all kinds of me major media personalities, um, and she's also a first-time author. The book is Laugh It Up. Uh, it has a uh, complimentary Bible study that goes along with it called Defiant Joy. We're here to talk with Candace today about her book, Laugh It Up, but I want you to hear her laugh before we start. Okay, here we go. So, yes! Now watch when my mouth actually moves. <laughs> That's not me making that noise, it's the mask! Here, listen. friends you can go to facebook.com uh, candace Payne official and you can just watch it and listen to it over and over and over again it brings me great joy to introduce to my listeners candace Payne. candace welcome to the reconnect oh thank you so much how are you all right well i'm great i hope you never tire of hearing yourself laugh we out here in the world never tire of hearing you laugh you know what honestly I was listening to that clip, and I kind of just did the side eye, thinking, oh, I've heard this so many times this week doing media. And then I just found myself giggling. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't get old. It's just the weirdest thing in the whole world. <laughs> right. It doesn't. It totally doesn't get old. And it brings... Um, it, somehow, it actually... You know, joy is this, like, invasive thing, right? It intrudes into... Um, I mean, you can't listen to a little kid giggle, and we certainly can't listen to you laugh in this Facebook Live video and not be infected um, by oh. that joy. So, yeah, so just talk with us. I mean, I, I realize that um, the Bible study portion is called Defiant Joy, but the book is called yeah. Laugh It Up. So um, can you can you help us put those two concepts together? Sure, yeah. The subtitle actually bridges them both. It's called Embrace Freedom and Experience Defiant Joy. And I decided to write a Bible study that would really give the how. How do I actually have that defiant joy? Because um, in Laugh It Up, you learn about my story and some things that you really wouldn't expect from a lady that you see in a viral video, that, that it's a four-minute video, three minutes are of just sheer joy, just laughing it up, right? Um, and you discover that my life has really been a fight. It has been a fight to maintain and choose joy every single day uh, with the things that I've experienced. And you don't just learn about me. It's not just a memoir. I actually personify joy, a very ethereal concept to most people, uh, and try to bring it down to a gut level of what if she was in the room with you? What if, it, what if it was somebody that was knocking at your door? Would you allow her in? How? When has been the last time that you had a table conversation over a meal with her and said, I need your wisdom. And the reason why I'm talking about joy as a female is, well, look at what Paul did, or Solomon did in the scriptures. He said, Women, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. Uh, she does all these things. And, and when we looked at the actual 
Greek and Hebrew connotation for the first time that we see joy in scriptures, it's feminine. And so lap it up does that, but then defiant joy, man, it is a Bible study like none other. You don't have to memorize a single thing or fill in a blank, but you have to do some fun, fun work. And uh, we don't call it homework, we call it fun work, so that we can make sure that you find out tactile how to embrace that freedom that's already there and really live an abundant life full of joy. All right, so Candace, I find myself robbed of my joy fairly frequently by yeah. um, by things that there, you know, by every. I mean, it, it's not it's not crushing stuff, which we'll get to in just a second. It's just, um, frankly, just life stuff. And so, how do I resist being robbed of my joy? You know what? Uh, everybody has little things that happen to them throughout the day. Uh, do you remember back in the 90s, there was a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And I remember reading that thinking, you know, that's that's really good basis for starting off is, is not to sweat the little things that come your way and, and that really don't hold a perspective or a value that's eternal. Um, and in all honesty, I know it seems uh, pretty trite to say this, but I don't mean it that way. I really look at eternity in the balance of almost every single day. Um, I try mm-hmm. not to live with that out of scope. Uh, when I am consumed by temporal thoughts, I have temporal reactions, <laughs> you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that always takes my joy. Always. That's exactly right. Um, all right, friends, I'm talking with Candace Payne. You can check out what we're talking about at candacepayne.me. The book is Laugh It Up, Embrace Freedom and Experience Defiant Joy. Uh, the Zondervan Bible Study is also entitled Defiant Joy. Um, all right, I want to talk um, I want to talk about a couple of different things with you because you, uh, you, you pull at some threads and some strings in your book which is deeply personal, but you also use, you use your personal story to help us identify things in our own lives um, that we really need to deal with. So let's talk about evicting shame. What does that yeah. mean? Yeah, come on. You know, shame is like a bully. It, it speaks to us, uh, hey, let me come live with you and take up space in your thoughts and in your mind. And it's more than just guilt. You know, guilt tells us you're guilty, you did something wrong, get it together, repent. <laughs> uh, shame comes and whispers that we are the sum of everything that we've done wrong. Shame lies to us and says, you have been uh, a person that is the worst, and not only that, you don't have hope to change. And I feel like they cannot live joy and shame in the same habitat peacefully. You, you can't have peace with one another that are that polar opposites. And at some point, in order to really experience true joy, you have to evict that shame out of your life. You just have to walk the hall and nail the eviction notice to the door and get some control back and say, I'm not going to live under this anymore. I'm going to actually live in freedom and experience the joy that God has so, so graciously paid for me to be able to experience. Hmm. All right, now, between where I am, wherever that is, dealing with what I'm dealing with, and God's actually, you know, uh, filling that reservoir, that, that seemingly empty reservoir in my heart and life. There's the, there's ordinarily a period of waiting. Let's okay. talk about how you live in, in that time of waiting. <laughs> you know, um, here's the funny thing about God. He does not change. And so even with me having a viral video in my life completely changing and many dreams being fulfilled, and in all honesty, seeing a lot of his promises come through, I still have to wait. I still have to wait on his timing for even the smallest of things that I've asked for years. And I found the best way to wait is found in First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and in due season he will exalt you. Um, I think we have one job, and it is to be under his hand, is to just rest there and say, I won't move unless you move me. I won't try to self-promote unless you, unless you promote me, I won't walk in it. And I feel like uh, that's just something foreign to us that we don't do as our first reaction. And the best advice I have in the waiting 
is to be humble. It's just to get up under his control and allow him to work. Gosh, he always writes it better, and he always does it better than we can. You know, I think that there's a lot of folks who, when they think about um, God's hand being upon them, like you are, what you are helping us visualize and, and imagine there is what it's like to rest under God's hand. Yeah. I think yeah. most people feel feel like if God's hand is upon them, um, it's either, you know, God, God put his hand upon me because I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, or <laughs> God put his hand upon me, you know, because he wanted me to get moving and he's pushing me, pu- pushing or pulling me into something. Um, and so I, first of all, I love that you speak in word pictures. I love that you personify um, that you use personification, um, and that, you know, that this, I, I, I will now forever in my mind have this mental hook about taking that eviction notice down the hall and, uh, and, and sending shame out. Like, I, I love that. Um, and I love that you, you help us see joy as some, uh, someone like, right. It's the, it's an attribute of God, um, with which we actually interact. And I can invite her into my life. I can invite Joy um, to have coffee with me when nobody else will come. So I, yeah. <laughs> first of all, I just appreciate all of those things. Um, let's talk about, um, uh, you know, if, if you're willing to do so, you did so in the book. So I'm sure that um, I, I'm sure that this will not be the first conversation about some of the difficult things that you share in the book about your own mm-hmm. story. T- tell us why it's so important to... Um, as Christians, particularly Christians with a platform, and God has certainly given you one, um, why it's important to be authentic and honest that our lives are not perfect and have not been perfect all along the way? Well, uh, you may not like this answer, but I just say it anyways. Um, Authenticity trumps integrity in our culture right now. And I know that Mm -hmm. we don't like that (laughs) because listen we're the doers we're the ones that are like I really really am trying my heart to live a life to live with integrity and let the world see that there is righteousness of God and there's good but really righteousness really comes down to being right with God and and if you're honest the only reason you're even that is because Jesus paid a price for you to be and he Mm -hmm. he says I became your sin and I became the very righteousness of that so, so here's the deal. We, we don't even own that. But what we can own is everything that we are. And I think it's high time. I, I love how you were saying that most people hear themselves being under the hand of God and they feel uh, fear. They feel uh, trepidation or correction. And, they, and listen, I, I'm not saying that I go without conviction. That's not it. But I feel it's high time that we stop painting God out to be a jerk. You know, I, he's mm. not rubbing our face in everything wrong that we've done. Actually, what he did is he was wounded for our transgressions. He took every single sin upon himself. Uh, he is a lover of us and a way maker for us. As a matter of fact, he's the only, he says, I am the way. <laughs> I am the gate, you know. And and for us, we got to quit fighting over are we righteous enough or integrous enough. And the, the real question is, is, do we have faith? We could we could all serve ourselves well to say this prayer. Increase my faith, O oh God. Let me believe the things I read. Increase my faith. And then after that, we could say very well, it, it would serve us so good just to say, I am honest with everything that you are doing in me and through me. Hmm. So, Candace, I don't know if other people, when they talk to you, um, they respond this way, but... You know, I hope you'll I hope you're open to receiving this. You know, God could have given this uh, Facebook Live 170 million plus platform to anybody. Oh, yeah. And for whatever reason, he get, he no like, right. He gave it to you. And <laughs> I, I find myself I find my heart thrilled that um, that, you know, this this four minutes of genuinely ridiculous, joyful laughter <laughs> has um has created the opportunity for the culture to be remade, like tilled and planted in by you. Like I, I, I just find um, a deep level of appreciation to the Lord um, for, for doing this and for using you to do it. So um, tell us what the experience for you, what's the experience been of, you know, everybody comes knocking on the door, everybody comes calling, everybody wants you everywhere all the time. Um, what, what is, what is that like to be pursued in that way by the world? Um, and yet 
to be answering that call, recognizing that it's really the opportunity for God to get out there amongst the people? Well, I got to tell you, first and foremost, the day that I woke up with about 15 to 20 voicemails, <laughs> all including, you know, CNN and BBC, NPR, uh, you know, Fox and Friends and Good Morning America, Today Show, all that, that day, um, I could have been completely done under. And and part of me did feel like I needed to be Jason Bourne and go in hiding. And I'm like, they found me. I don't know how they found me, but they found me. And I really, I, I could get overwhelmed quickly. But the reality is, is I know my identity in Christ. I do. And if you know who you are, you can sit at any table, be invited to any place, and be confident in what your goal and your mission in life is. And I'll be honest, I felt no, no hesitation in sharing the name of Jesus, but I also didn't feel any pressure. You know what I mean? I feel like some people think, oh my God, you're a Christian, you better say the name of Jesus, girl, about 20 times when you get on that Good Morning America. And reality is, is that I had this confidence that my God was at work, and this was a work that he was already preparing for me. So listen, if I really value his name, I was not going to salt and pepper it in a conversation. Isn't that, isn't that the first commandment? Don't take it in vain. Don't take it in the vanity of whatever it could do for me. And so I really was calm in those first moments of realizing and recognizing this was a work of God, and it was not going to be thwarted by anybody else's plan. It was something only he could do. And, uh, and you know, I think it serve us well. You, you talk about tilling new ground in, in the kingdom and a new, a new way of having culture. Christians have been painted with a very broad paint stroke recently. And it is so refreshing to see him raising up people in the most obscure way to say, guess what, guess what? I am not a bigoted jerk face judgmental God. I am a God that seeks you out and wants you to be with me. And so um, if he does it through, what what does that verse say? He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You know, he does it through a lady in a Chewbacca mask in a car. I'm sure that there are millions listening even right now that God's going to do something remarkable through them just the moment that they realize who they are in him. Amen. Candace Payne, I am um, thankful uh, for you in so many ways. Friends, you can um, check out the book, which is Laugh It Up, Embrace Freedom and Experience Defiant Joy. Uh, And it has a companion Bible study by Zondervan as well. Uh, And it is Defiant Joy for churches and for small groups. You can check it out on Amazon at Laugh Up, Embrace Freedom. Uh, And you can check out Candace and all that she's got going on at CandacePayne.me. She's obviously on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Candace Payne. Candace, thank you so much for joining us today on The Reconnect. All right, friends. She makes me um, want to live my life with, uh, with greater outward joy, like, right, just to be a person who recognizes, look, we recognize we're possessed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a joyful spirit. So um, I I am uh, prone to allowing little things to rob me of my joy. I'll just go ahead and confess that. I am prone to that. Uh, I am um, I am prone to focusing, as you know, because you're with me in it. Um, I am prone to focusing on the things in this world that run contrary to uh, to God's design and God's desire. Like I I get the disintegrated nature of the world in which we live and the devastating effects of of the evil one upon it. Um, and so I recognize I spend an inordinate amount of time uh, in the darkness. But you know, here's the reality: we're all we're all spending uh, much of our time in the darkness. The question is, are we there not only as light in terms of content and rightness, but are we light in terms of joy? So uh, you can't present the gospel in non-gospel ways. You can't live the Jesus life in a non-Jesus way. Um, and so I just want to be very, very thankful um, to God for uh, Chewbacca mom, Candace Payne, and for the reminder today to uh, count it all joy. And to be a person who evicts shame from our lives and uh, lives faithfully, uh, authentically. I loved that, her talking about um, authenticity and the importance of it in our culture today. You have a story, um, and your story is powerful in terms of its testimony of redemption in the lives of others. So, uh, so 
There you go. That's what I have on that. All right. I, I know it's time to go below the fold. Some of you are like, hey, ants in my pants. It's time to go below the fold. Uh, the time when we lift up stories and make connections that are designed to help you start and engage with other people in conversations that may not initially appear to be about God. Certainly a Chewbacca mask was not initially a good conversation starter related to God, but look, looky, looky where we ended up. Okay. Um, there is always an angle. There is always a hook. We are fishers of men. We just have to find the way to frame the conversation in a way uh, that draws people from the subject matter they're talking about to the real subject matter which is always God God's always the issue if you've ever wondered what the issue is God is always the issue so on Twitter on Twitter last night <clears throat> there was a, a a hashtag trending called finding your roots and so um, because I'm a person interested uh, periodically in what's trending on Twitter I checked it out and um, this particular uh, tweet caught my eye. Uh, this particular tweet reads, I predate race uh, at Lupita Nyong'o. And it says uh, that, that Lupita carries DNA from the oldest maternal haplogroup, an offshoot of the mitochondrial Eve. Hashtag finding your roots. Okay, this caught my attention and my eye because we are having racial conversations in, uh, in, in our country today. What does it mean to predate race? That was an interesting way to put it. And then, you know I have a fascination with science, even if I'm not particularly science-minded. And so this idea that somebody was carrying the DNA from the oldest maternal haplogroup, which I had no idea what that meant. But then this whole notion of mitochondrial Eve certainly sparked my interest. So what catches your attention? What sparks your interest? And then how do you move from that conversation into a conversation about things that, you know, ultimately matter, are of ultimate importance? So here's what I got for you. I, of course, Googled mitochondrial Eve. I suspected I knew what it meant. You know, mitochondrial DNA, I actually do know this, is that DNA that exists in us because of who our mom is. And so it is passed maternally. Um, and actually, you just have a blueprint of your mom's mitochondrial DNA. That's how that works. And so um, even if, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, find a, a, a rooted piece of my hair and hairbrush, you could go get a rooted piece of my mom's hair and we would have the same mitochondrial DNA. So there you go. Um, so apparently Ancestry.com and 23andMe and uh, what station was this on? It, it's not NPR, it's the TV one. Um, PBS, thank you. Um, PBS has this uh, series called Finding Your Roots. Johnson & Johnson is a part of it. There's a lot of sponsors listed down there. Okay, so here's what they do. They investigate the mitochondrial DNA, uh, particularly uh, of, of women, and they figure out where these lines are. So this is a human genetics exercise. That's what they're trying to do. And of all currently living human beings, there is understood to be this common ancestor. Dun, dun, dun. Mitochondrial Eve. Okay. Now, this is just science actually recognizing that the Bible is inescapable. I mean, even if you... Even if you want to be a scientism devotee, you can't escape Eve. You, you, you can't escape the origins conversation. You can't escape the origin story. Why is mitochondrial Eve called Eve? Why isn't she like mitochondrial Donna or mitochondrial Barbara or mitochondrial Amanda? Okay, because Eve is actually the first woman. You can't escape the conversation of Genesis 1, uh, wherein God declares that he made them male and female in his image and in his likeness, uh, and where eventually in chapter 2 of Genesis, they get their names, Adam and Eve. We're all daughters of Eve. If, if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia lately, Daughters of Eve is a good, uh, uh, a good little reminder by C.S. Lewis that we are all the daughters of Eve. All right, friends, literally all the time we got for, uh, we have today. This is The Reconnect. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Visit me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Sign up for the podcast. Donate to the ministry. Have a great day. The Reconnect is brought to you by the Presbyterian Lay Committee. To continue the conversation and become part of the Reconnect community, visit reconnectwithcarmen.com.